You are listening to the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week. For more resources, visit us at lifepoint.cc. I always am excited to see how the Lord orchestrates the voices that He's going to bring into, into our church family to speak into, into a, a given school year. And um, Friday and Saturday, you all got to hear from um, Jeff, Carol Friday night, Carol Hubing Friday night, Jeff, Dr. Jeff Hubing Saturday morning, and I, I pray that you were blessed through that. Um, but this morning's guest is, is really a connection through the Hubings, and that's why we kind of brought all those, um, this all together this weekend was because our guest this morning, Dr. Bob Gladstone, is really a connection, I don't know, Bob, as, in, until, this, uh, until this connection was made, but it really is through, through the Hubings. I'm, I'm really grateful for their friendship, for them believing in what the Lord's doing here. Um, but I'll, I'll just give you some context as to why I've been in, in so much expectation, anticipation for hosting uh, Bob Gladstone this weekend. Um, when I was just a young boy, a wee little lad, 9, 10, 11 years old, uh, in the midst of a broken home, I stepped foot into our church and I saw a move of God sweep through our church over the next number of years that gave me a glimpse of heaven, that gave me a glimpse of the reality of the power and the presence of Jesus. That was in stark contrast of what I experienced day to day in the chaotic home life of a broken home. It, it began to translate to my life that the gospel was actually a, a tangible substance that meant something for my life. And it, it impacted my family, it impacted me. And uh, this morning, uh, Dr. Bob Gladstone was a leader in, in that move of God that really uh, bubbled up out of Brownsville in Pensacola, Florida in the mid to late 90s and into the, into the early 2000s. And so um, I feel like in, indebted to these leaders in, in prior generations that have invested in what, what the Lord is doing in this hour in the church. And, and the fact that he would be willing to come and, and speak this morning uh, currently Bob and his wife Gina are in Charlotte, North Carolina. They lead a network of, of house churches called King's People. They've been there for the last 20 years. And so um, would you do what LifePoint does? And would you stand to your feet and honor Bob Gladstone as he comes and brings the word this morning? Praise God. Thank you very much. You may be seated. I appreciate that honor. I appreciate the honor of just being here. So um, I've been looking forward to it ever since I got the invitation. I hope it works out good for everybody. Um, but so I got many things on my mind and I'm, I'm really going to trust the Lord to give us a nice flow and to impart what needs to be imparted. The, the one text on my heart well, one of many, but the main text on my heart this morning is a prayer in Ephesians chapter 3. So if you'd like to turn there, you can do that. I will read this prayer, some of it perhaps. Uh, Ephesians 3, and we'll begin in verse 14 once we get there. For my own perspective on our time together, uh, it, it does mean a lot to me that Jeff and Carol are connected to you guys and then felt to connect me, at least for this weekend. Um, when they did that, I, I wouldn't necessarily just take an invitation quickly off of that. I would want to pray about it and sort it out with my schedule. But I felt grace on it right away. 
So I just wanted to let you know that I feel like the Lord did give me grace to be here and desired it. I also have felt since I have been praying for you and for these meetings and also talking with a friend who used to live near here, which I didn't know when I started talking with him about coming here. Um, I do believe the Lord has marked this city and has marked you for a special purpose here, that he's, he has high regard for you. All right, let me just say that, okay? I'm not trying to flatter you. I don't normally start speaking this way. I was praying about this this morning in my prayer time, and I felt like the Lord gave me confidence to say this. I can't quote something verbatim, a message from the Lord prophetically, but I can speak confidently, relaying something I feel the Spirit saying, that God has high regard for you. He loves you. You could say this about anybody, but you're special. Um, He loves you, and he has a very special purpose for you, and he has a very special purpose for the church of this city. And he's going to give you great grace. I believe you're going to see wild, wonderful things in the Spirit. I do believe there is a move of God afoot. I believe we're in the midst of one now, but there are greater things coming. There are greater manifestations of God's presence. There are miraculous moments coming Uh, But for it all, God wants a people who are yielded to Jesus, who are obedient to him, who think and live in a kingdom way, and whose ambition is just to be like Jesus, right? We don't want revival as an event. We want revival as God's manifest presence among a people who are already digging in their heels to be in communion with God, to be in communion with one another, to grow in the likeness of Jesus and to reach their community with the gospel. Things we should be doing anyway. We shouldn't be waiting for revival. At the same time, God can put us in seasons where we're praying, especially for certain things, praying for revival, amen. But my point in all of that is this. I believe you're marked as something special. I believe God is bringing revival to you and to your city. I believe that. But I also believe that we should be preparing ourselves for that revival. And we should be preparing ourselves in the same ways that the Bible already tells us to prepare ourselves. And that's to become a Jesus people. To really know him. It's really so, it's so simple, it's offensive. God has called us to know him well. God has called us to be like Jesus, and God has called us to be a spiritual family with one another. Not to attend church, but to be a family. Come on, oh, uh-huh. It's, we can't be a Jesus people without developing and cultivating family relationships and actually finding one another as spiritual brothers and sisters rather than fellow church attenders. Now, I'm all for attending meetings when they're called, but I don't believe that should define the church. I actually believe you can do without that and still be the church. But in our culture, we've reversed it. We've made church attendance church and spiritual family secondary if it's on the map at all. But the New New Testament wisdom is exactly the reverse. You're better off just cultivating families than having services. If you can do both, good for you. But... God, if we want to handle revival, we have to be the people he's called us to be. 
And we're really going to need to yield to the Lord and know him in community with him, first commandment, and then be in community with one another, the second commandment, or else that wine is going to destroy our wineskin when it comes. So I really want to speak to you that you're special. God wants to pour out a spirit upon you, and I'm going to give you a couple of reasons why you in particular God wants to use. But be that as it may, we still need to embrace a deeper level of wisdom so that we're ready when this new wine comes because God is holy and he's good. And he's so good and he's so holy, he won't compromise for anyone. He's got certain ways. So when he pours out his spirit, if we're not walking in those ways, it'll create disruption. It'll be more painful than it needs to be. Rather, we want the outpouring of God's spirit to be contained in a fresh wineskin So it's our joy and our delight, as intense as it is, and then it overflows into our city, and God's really going to use this city as a witness for Christ in your generation. I'm not going to give you a a cheerleading session. I don't know when it's going to happen. I don't even know what it will look like. Well, I kind of do, but I don't fully know. Uh, It may be for your children. It may be for your grandchildren. It may be starting this morning. I, I don't know. I don't think that, but it might. I don't know. But I do know the basic principles that will help us get ready. And I want to share a few of those principles with you. I'm just going to choose a a handful of things um, and we'll see where things go. I've chosen this text of scripture. I mean, I prayed about it. I really put it before the Lord. I do believe that he's pleased that I'm I'm choosing this text. Uh, Ephesians 3.14 and following, um, I, 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 I... I'm speaking on this prayer because I know that you guys are praying for revival, right? That's true, right? You told me the truth. You're praying for revival? Yes. And um, so I want to speak into that because you're praying for revival. And um, I believe that's important. I believe you're led to do that. I was telling Pastor Drew that I pray for revival every day. I cry out to God for revival in my life. Um, I cry out for revival in our churches. I want God's manifest presence. We've had a handful of mini visitations and I'm very delighted when that happens, but I want something deep and and long-term. I also don't know if I have enough godliness in my life to handle that. (laughs) Um but I pray I do. I saw that John G. Lake book on your shelf. Have you ever read that one? Well, you know what? I don't even know if it's in that book. It's in another book, the letter he wrote to a denomination he used to belong to, and he was warning them about absorbing the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees because they started Pentecostal but became religious. This is in the early 20th century. He wrote this letter to them. But he was giving them something of a cautionary tale He was speaking of his younger days in South Africa. Right? Am I right about that? that, I heard the accent. So I felt that, figured that was the guy you were telling me was from South Africa. Forgive my random flow of consciousness at times, guys. I'm not my full self today, but I have a lot of confidence um, because of that. Anyway, John G. Lake, great missionary to South Africa. He was... From this, uh, he was originally from Canada and then uh, lived roughly in this part of the country. He was on the Chicago Mercantile Exchange, became very wealthy, 
and then liquidated everything to go be a missionary, got on the boat with nothing, trusting God to meet him when he got there. And he was reminiscing about the power of God on his life in those early days in South Africa. And he said, I don't know that a man has been anointed like this for 1,400 years. There was about a nine-month period where the anointing of God was unspeakably powerful on his life. And he said, I don't know if it's been 1,400 years that a single person has been anointed by God to bring this kind of healing. He wasn't boasting. He was saying this is what he possessed as a gift. And then it wasn't the same level after about nine months. Um, But during that time, he saw extraordinary, miraculous invasions of God to bring healing and restoration, discipleship and church planting in the bush, where a good deal of his team died on the field, suffering from the illnesses and other troubles that they had in such uh, rustic, inconvenient circumstances. He said, if we would have just had a measure of the, the white man's support from the States, I could have saved the lives of all of my missionaries. But all of them died, including his own wife, suffering for the gospel, bringing the gospel to these, these badlands areas of South Africa. But during the time of this, uh, this spectacular healing anointing that he had on his life, um, he saw retarded people healed when he'd lay hands on them, extraordinary things. Of course, the dead raised, the sick healed. He said, but my team and I, we didn't have sufficient control over our own souls to steward and maintain this anointing. He goes, now I'm in my old age, as he's writing this letter, warning his Pentecostal denomination against letting the leaven in. He said, now, I think he was in his 60s. He said, we have discipline, self-control, and uh, maturity. We've, We've gotten a hold of that part of life, but we don't have that same anointing anymore. Now, don't get me wrong, and then he gives a testimony. (laughs) That's off the charts, you know. Someone had a tumor on her belly, and he put his hand on there, and the tumor burst out of her body at the moment, and there was a burn mark on her belly where his hand was. He goes, we still see the power of God. Like, I'll take that. (laughs) But not like it was when we were young. Not in those days. The anointing was, was unusual in almost like a millennium and a half. Like, wow, those must, those must have been interesting missionary times there. But he gave it as a cautionary tale. He's like, work on your character. If I could add my two cents, work on your community. Work on your life in God. Work on who you are in Christ. So when God comes by his spirit and begins to anoint his people again, like he wants to in the last days, we'll be able to maintain it and steward it rather than lose it or worse yet, be destroyed by it. So part of the context, feeling grace coming and feeling something special on you. And there's little prophetic things the Lord was giving me, even in the airplane coming here. I'm not gonna go through all these stories talking with a friend who used to live here who spoke blessing over you. He said, there's something special about this city, something special in the kingdom. 
I said, why do you say that? He said, I've just always felt it. And, and he spoke a couple of times when, when he lived near here and he, he just spoke a blessing over you. I believe it was prophetic. There's something special here. So that's part of my context, part of what's in my mind as I speak to you. And then finally, this knowledge of the balance between being Christ-like, but also experiencing extraordinary manifestations of God's presence. I'm urgent about telling you, if you're praying for revival, then get ready. Prayer is not just praying. It's being a certain kind of person. And more importantly, a community made up of certain kind of persons who love one another and therefore define themselves as a community of a certain kind. Not denominationally cookie cut. Not just blindly, ignorantly carrying on the church traditions. This is what we do. What else do we do? We just do that. That's not the way you create family. We're created by a raw exposure to the gospel of Jesus Christ and aligning our lives and our spiritual family to that gospel. It is the gospel of the kingdom. As we do that, we're preparing a wineskin for an outpouring of new wine. So that's my urgency here, because if you're praying for revival, then I say, don't just pray for revival, be prayers for revival. First Peter 4, 7 says, by the way, in a community context, he's, Peter is speaking about and encouraging the formulation of community in, in the context of this verse. But here in 4, 7, 1 Peter, he speaks of prayer. He says, be sober-minded and self-controlled for the sake of prayer. Like if you want to pray effectively, get a hold of yourselves. I'm not saying we have to live up to a certain standard or God doesn't hear our prayers. I'm not saying that. God hears the weakest, lightest weight prayers that we can offer. Things out of the side of our mouth, two second prayers. He hears everything in our weakness and our strength. This is not performance-based Christianity. And yet, if we want to pray highly effective prayers, the characters that correspond to the gospel invest our prayers with greater strength on high. So Peter's not saying pray to get your lives right. He's saying get your lives right so you can pray well. It speaks of Jesus in Hebrews chapter 5 in similar terms. It speaks of Jesus as a great high priest. Jesus was a powerful priestly man. He's the great high priest offering not only his own body for our salvation, but he offered powerful prayers in the days of his flesh. It says this in Hebrews 5. When the author is expounding on Jesus' role as a high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. Do you remember this theme in Hebrews 5 and elsewhere Hebrews 7? Anyway, when it speaks of Jesus' high priestly ministry in chapter 5, he's not just talking about himself offering a sacrifice. He, 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 uh, the author was talking about Jesus offering prayers in chapter 5. In the days of his flesh, he offered up prayers and supplications. Speaking of his high priestly ministry, it says Jesus prayed prayers and supplications with loud crying and tears. And he was heard because of his piety. 
That's a highfalutin English word. It even sounds works-oriented, but it's not. It's in Scripture. Jesus was heard because of his piety. Another way of translating that or unpacking it a little bit, he was heard because he submitted to God and lived a godly life. Even when it was completely, seemingly impossible, challenging and against the grain of his natural desires, he yielded to God rather than yielding to himself. And the author tells us that's why he was heard. Sometimes we pray for revival as a cop-out. We want God to do for us what he's told us to do. That's the spirit of our age. We want to have our fun and then let someone else intervene and kill what we've created because we, we just did it self-indulgently. <clears throat> I'm saying if you want to pray for revival, pray for the glory to be abiding in the house, but let's get the house as in order as is possible in this season so that A, God will hear our prayers and B, that manifestation will come and we'll be able to, to house it, to host And to do more than host it, but let God be the one who abides, which is what this prayer in Ephesians is about. Nonetheless, it says of Jesus there that he was heard because of his piety. It says, even though he was a son, the the wisdom in this passage of scripture is extraordinary. Even though he was a son, he learned obedience through the things he suffered. He didn't become a son. He was born a son. We have to be rooted in our identity. That's where we begin. We don't live up to our sonship or our daughterhood. God makes us a son and a daughter by his grace when we put our faith in Christ. But it doesn't mean we're automatically going to act like God's faithful children. That's developed over time by the power of the word of God working through our times of trials, difficulties, challenges, and suffering. Jesus, who not only was the son of God, but was flawless. He was not born in sin and he never committed a sin. 12, 13, 14 years old, 18, 19, 25, 26, still never violated the word of God, still walked in purity. And yet he still had to learn obedience, not because he used to be disobedient, but because he had to develop like anyone else, because there were higher levels of obedience that God, by his grace, as his father, was leading him into as a human. And the way God taught him was through suffering. Even though he was a son, he learned obedience through the things which he suffered. So we learn obedience through the things we suffer. Our challenges, our losses of jobs, when people betray us, when there's sickness, when our children are going off the rails or seemingly so, or we're, 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 we're dealing with financial crisis or whatever else it is. And even things that God wants to deliver us from, in the meantime, he wants to develop our characters in that laboratory of, of challenge as we build an altar in the middle of it and give ourselves to the Lord. And then we become the kind of people that when we pray for revival, revival just comes down something that'll shake heaven and earth and everything in between. So Jesus learned obedience through the things which he suffered. And um, 
having become, what's, what is, what's the next part of it, Jeff? Now see, you're talking during the sermon and I'm asking you a question. <laughs> having been made perfect. How about that language of development for our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? Having been made perfect. So it was a process for him too. He became to all who obey him the source of eternal salvation. So he had to develop as well. But his prayer life became effective in the development of his character, even from flawless to flawless, but still went from glory to glory. And so it is with us as we're praying for revival. So I begin our text here, Ephesians 3.14. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. And Paul launches into what I would consider a very specific, very apostolically wise prayer for revival. He's praying for visitation. He's praying for fresh activity of the spirit among people who already have the spirit. For this reason, I bow my knees before the father from whom every family in heaven on earth derives its name. Paul's always mindful of the community of faith, especially in Ephesians, the plunging together of Jews and Gentiles God creating a new social entity by the Spirit through the cross of Jesus Christ that could never be created any other way. So Paul therefore tells any community of faith, if Jews and Gentiles can be melted together because of Jesus in love as a family, not attending the same church, I mean brothers and sisters at the same table, loving one another and sharing. Okay, if they can do it, then every single church should be a family. So he's constantly mindful of the father's very character. You know, God himself is family. That's what God is love means. He is father, son, and Holy Spirit. That is God. He is a family. We're even told to baptize new converts into the divine family. So the first thing we become is family. Then we get taught. Isn't that the great commission? baptizing them into the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. What do you think he's talking about there? Jesus is like, join the family. We are family. I come to you as the son. I'm not the father. I'm, Jesus is fully God, but I'm God the son. I'm not God the father. Distinct but not separate persons. And Father prayed, uh, Jesus prayed to the father that we'd be one the same way he is one. I believe to some degree Paul's actually reflecting that prayer. I believe he knew about the John 17 prayer at this stage of his life, even if it wasn't published yet. And he's aware of the angelic families and the, the human families, and God's just a father. He's a family person. He loves children. And Paul's mindful of this. So this is part of the mystery he's praying into. He's not just praying for revival. He's praying for the restoration of the church. He's praying for the reality of discipleship to be, to be manifest, to have a wineskin to hold this wine he's speaking of. Well, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven on earth derives its name, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, length, height, and depth and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge. 
that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. Notice the tensions in this prayer. What I mean by tensions are tensions between two points of logic, not, not an emotional tension. But Paul is praying for an act of God in verse 16, a move of the Spirit at the end of verse 16 for them to be strengthened in the inner person. So he's praying for one move of the Spirit in verse 16, and then he's praying for a second issue in verse 17, that Christ may dwell in their hearts through faith. He's praying for people in whom Christ dwells, that Christ would dwell in their hearts. So he's asking for something they already possess to be activated further. This is very important. It's a specific prayer that the Messiah would dwell in our hearts. Theologically, he already dwells in our hearts if we're believers. But practically, we don't necessarily experience the full attitude of that glory. It takes quite a people for the Messiah King to be dwelling in the house with them. It's like, well, yes, theologically, he already dwells in the house. We affirmed that on our, on our list of doctrines on our website. Good for you. Great website. Where's the glory of God in the house? Where's a people who are actually absolutely conquered by the love, wisdom, character, and power of Jesus Christ? Come on, you remember what the little kid said to the beavers in Lion, Witch, in the Wardrobe? When they heard that Aslan is a lion, oh, is he quite safe? And the, the beavers laugh. No, he's not safe, but he's good. For the Messiah, unsafe as he is, the Lord God Almighty, the sovereign over heaven and earth, who knows all the depths of humility and suffering, as well as all the glory of divine sovereignty, for him to be dwelling inside of your rib cage. And to be living inside of the house that gets together takes an extraordinary move of God just to get us ready for that indwelling Christ who already dwells in our midst. That's why in verse 17 he prays that Christ would dwell, but he doesn't pray that first. I'm talking about preparing for revival. His first petition is that we'd be strong in the inner person. Do you see how that works? His first prayer, see, Paul's wise. He's not just praying, come on, Lord, pour out your Holy Ghost. It's not that simple. Not when you understand that God wants a house made up of disciples who are day by day allowing the Spirit to conform them to the image of the Son and then together as a family to go into that terrain. Talk about character development. There's the suffering that just happens through the normal rough and tumble of life. But then when you're developing family relationships with the people that you usually just attend with, that brings out whole, all new areas of our souls that have to be dealt with. And we can't just put on our church face. We have to be real. Well, Christ won't dwell in a, in a church in an abiding way if the people don't actually love one another. That's the climax of this prayer. He might visit, but abiding is a whole other matter. To have this sovereign lion abiding in our midst, leading us, 
guiding us, taking us into the depths of prayer, bringing us in places to proclaim his gospel, sharing it in the workplace, in the, in the, in the school place, having us pray through world events in our, I mean, just his sovereignty expressed in our midst, sacrificial love, uh, um, uh, a sharing life with one another. That's the environment in which the king feels the most confident and comfort to dwell and to express himself through. So Paul says, okay, well, if I'm going to pray for that to happen, I first have to pray that there would be an act of God to make our spirits strong by the Holy Spirit. Because we're going to need extraordinary strength to be able to contain the extraordinary King of Kings and Lord of Lords. When we just pray for revival blindly, you know, just because that's the thing to do, we pray amiss. Let us read our Bibles Let us do what it says. Let us do our best to conform and encourage one another to conform to the commands of God, the commands of Jesus Christ and the way of life that he represents. Let us do that and say, Lord, help us. And then also on top of that, be praying for revival. But let's not just pray for revival as if God is going to be indiscriminate. As if, the, as, as if he doesn't read his own Bible when we're asking for revival. We ought not pray that way. We should be praying that God will make us strong in our spirits so we could be the house of God he wants to dwell in. So that we be able to, to contain through our own consecration. Okay, not works. I'm just talking about being practical. We can contain through our own consecration and love for one another the king who wants to dwell in our midst and express himself to our city. But it's going to take focus and effort and wisdom. And all of it is by the grace of God. So how do we prepare for revival? We, we take seriously our call to be faithful disciples to Jesus. We take seriously our call to love one another as a family. We take seriously our call to need to, excuse me, to pray for this need for strength to be fulfilled by the grace of the Holy Spirit. Can I talk to you a little bit more about that? We need strength of spirit. We need strength in our spirits. We need our spirits to be strong. That's, 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 that's a move of God I want to see. I love the outward manifestations. I love that. I love the extraordinary works of God. I've seen it. I've been in it. I miss it. I ache for it. I've seen things. I've seen a room filled with smoke. God manifested his presence while I was teaching on the Old Testament tabernacle, how the glory of God filled like like smoke. And I was looking down at my notes and I looked up and from one moment to the next, it looked like everybody had been smoking for about 30 minutes. I'm like, do you guys see this? It was, it was in a room, something like this. It was a large student body. Not all of them saw it, but half of them. <laughs> and we just, we just exploded. We, you know, what do you, I didn't, had no idea what to do. I still wouldn't know what to do. Um, um, um. And everybody just, ah, you know, and we just prayed for hours. <clears throat> I already struggle to get through my notes when God visits, but it's worth it. So I just had a. Skip more quickly through Hosea, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> I remember my wife and I talking. We were just in my office, in my, in my house, and we're just chatting. 
And I forget exactly what we were talking about, but we felt God's presence and we were talking about something to do with God's word. And we see something just walk right in between us. And then we just stop talking. We're looking at each other. We're just looking. And I said, did you see that? <laughs> she goes, you see some just go between us like that? Yeah. Yeah, me too. I mean, stuff like that's fun. Divine activity. The angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man, so to speak. But my real urgency is that the people would be developed into Christ's likeness to contain something even more glorious. That's my real urgency. So for what I talked about before, I was barely strong enough for. But for what I'm talking about with you all, we need more strength. Let's just admit it. In fact, the more we admit it, the stronger we become. Our strength comes from the Lord how many times did David call the Lord his strength? Right? And, and, and Paul says, be strong in the Lord. And if in three chapters past this, he knows what he's talking about. We need God's strength. We, we are weaker than we realize. We don't know what God is, what is like. We don't know. We do know to a degree, but not really, or else Paul wouldn't be praying for people who have Christ dwelling in them that Christ would still dwell in them. Paul's not asking, oh, please continue. He's saying, really dwell. Not just as a theological statement, but where the, the people are clearly embodying the living sovereign Christ. We don't know what that's like. So it's better that we search for our weaknesses, not presuming our own strength. The whole issue of strength to Paul, he's praying for strength in the inner person by the Spirit. The whole issue of strength, if you unpack that petition in the context of Paul's other writings, you know what he's saying is, the pressure is going to come. You're going to be exposed as terribly weak. Magnify those weaknesses. Don't put on church faces. Be real people. Hiding all your sins and all your your foolishness and just showing up and looking right and all that. He's like, that's, that's human strength. Let the things of this life expose your weaknesses. Be real with people. Be real with God and say, Lord, help me. Come on now. This is, these are prayers in scripture. Have you ever read the Psalms? You ever read Jeremiah's prophecy? I mean, he's a great prophet. He was crushed. Talk about authenticity. He went too far. God had to tell Jeremiah to repent. You ever read about that? Lord, you've become to me like a deceptive stream. Because the pain of serving God, the, 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 the resultant persecution of Jeremiah's message and the, the constant rejection, the constant stripping away of everything valuable in his life, the getting beaten up and thrown in stocks because he brought to God's people God's word. He finally cracked and said, I can't do this anymore. And I don't advocate those kinds of confessions, but they are recorded for us in the Bible for a reason. You know that phrase, it's like fire shut up in my bones. You read the context of that? It's Jeremiah cracking and quitting. That particular passage begins like this. Lord, Lord, you've deceived me. 
and I'm deceived. How's that for theology? That's not in the Bible to teach us that God deceives. God's the opposite of that. God is light. There is no darkness in him at all. But Jeremiah was cracking. He wasn't trying to put on a show for anybody. He was getting crushed by the weight of his calling. And I know this was an unusual time in Israel's history. Everything was apostate. And Jeremiah was bringing the word of the Lord. He's not going to be a popular guy. Come on. He's not going to be invited to your conferences. He called his conference the Council of the Lord. He's like all these other prophets you invite to your conferences. They're not, on, they're not in conference with God. Who stands on the Council of the Lord? Jeremiah did, and he got so crushed, he finally broke. Lord, you deceived me, and I am deceived. Bring that verse to your IHOP meetings, <laughs> singing back and forth. Lord, you deceived me, and I... Who's and then the, the, the singers answer back, Lord, you deceive me. <laughs> we don't pray that prayer. That's not true, but, it, but it's, it's, it's what Jeremiah was going through. At least it came to the surface and God could deal with it. We're not, we're not justifying it. Come on. He goes on. He, he, he quits. He says, no more. I don't, I don't want to speak in the name of the Lord anymore. So he quits. Jeremiah was called from the womb. He didn't have a job. He was called by God and he quit. And that's when he said, it's like a fire in my bones. When I try to quit, when I try to oppress the word of Yahweh, it's like fire in my bones. I can't suppress it. I've got to speak it again. And then I get crushed again and I wind up whining again. So it gets difficult and he's complaining to the Lord. He's like, why are you doing this to me? And it finally gets so hard for him. He says, cursed be the day I was born. It's like, okay, now you're really going for it. It's not that I don't wish. I don't just wish I'm not alive. I cursed the day I was actually born. And you know what? Cursed be that guy that came and told my father, you have a son. Curse him too. I just want to erase the whole thing from the record books of history. I wish I didn't exist. So I'm going back into my existence as far as I can. I mean, this is quite the emotional outburst. I don't want to be brought to this place. Cursed be the guy who told my mom, uh, told my dad that we just had a son. He says, may that man be like the, the city's Yahweh overthrows in his wrath. Good night. And then he starts to build up his confidence. It's like he's writing in his journal the next day, then the next verse. He says, But the Lord is with me like a dread champion. Yes! The Lord is with me. And then, actually, this are, he, had, he said this part first, but the Lord is, is with me. And then he says, um, Praise the Lord! Praise the Lord! He's, he's shouting in his journal. And then he says, Cursed be the day I was born. <laughs> the next day, he was up and down. And then when he gets through all of that, the next verse says, and then the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. Just carry right on. <clears throat> Paul told the Corinthians, I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. First, first, first Corinthians chapter two. I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. That's the way I came. Why did he tell them that? Well, first of all, because that is the way he came. Yes, it's time to go. I see the clock. I'm gonna, I'm gonna end with this. 
because he did come with weakness, but he also was saying this because the Corinthians were beginning to uh, value the kinds of leaders and be influenced by the kinds of leaders who were just good speakers. They were just good at their craft, but they didn't have the, the depth of the knowledge of God or the character. So Paul says, I didn't come to you with razzmatazz. I didn't come to you with tricks to manipulate people. I came with weakness. I had no ability to influence you. He specifically said that. He said, because if I convince you of something based on my powers, then your faith will rest not on the power of God, but on the wisdom of men. And I can't have that. I'm afraid of that. I don't get up in front of you with confidence. I get up in front of you with weakness. I I was thinking of that verse this morning. It's how I feel overall in life. Weakness and in fear and in much trembling. I was literally in every way weak coming to you this morning in, in, in very much afraid and even a little bit of trembling. But before you think I'm comparing myself to Paul, I would say, no, I'm not that powerful. And you know why I'm not that powerful? Because I'm not that weak. I still have too much pride and I still let too much of, of, of the handling of my soul bleed through my fingers as I'm trying to hold on. So because I can't accentuate all that weakness I, I, to the degree that he can, I, I don't have that same anointing of power resting on my life. But I'm not going to work toward that. I'm just going to walk, walk through life and, and say, Lord, help me to be more weak before you so I can translate that into a dependence that becomes the abiding anointing on my life. I just want to ask you for everything, not just out loud, but in my spirit, feeling impoverished without you so the prayers come out that way. Not just in, my, in my, the prayers I articulate, but in the spirit behind the prayers, which is exactly what Jesus said. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. If we can accentuate our weaknesses, then we can pray with gusto for God and God alone to be our strength. Then he can formulate a people that can contain the outpouring of the new wine. Well, I'll tell you what, let me close in prayer for you and then I'll call for the, the one of you bros to come dismiss us. Um, can I just, uh, can, I, can I ask you to, to stand and I'll pray for you? I'm just going to say a closing prayer and hand it over. <clears throat> Father, thank you for this time together. We bless your holy name. We worship you as the sovereign God over heaven and earth, but also our tender-hearted Father who's near us and who loves us and who cherishes us and who ministers to our every need. I'm asking you for this precious people who are gathered here, those that are coming as well, and for the saints of this city, that you will minister deeply to their spirits and make them strong by your spirit. Lord, help us to accentuate our weaknesses and be authentic people so that we can truly be in a position not just to pray, but to pray from our spirits and receive the strength that only you can give. God, help, 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 help. We rise before the dawning of the morning and we cry for help. We hope in your word. Praise God. Jesus is king. In his name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Dr. Hudson. I don't know um, how we could receive a message like that and not respond. So if you need strength in your inner being, would you just come, just come forward?
receive strength from the Lord this morning. Um, if you need to go, go. But for those that just want to come and receive strength in your inner being, the work that the Lord wants to do out there and through us, you need to start in here. So just come and receive from the Lord. Prayer teams will pray for you as well. Prayer teams, you can go ahead and begin to pray for individuals as they come. Lord, we want to receive your word well. I've made very clear to you as a church family that we're not playing games. I'm, I'm so tired of church as normal. So Lord, in weakness, we, we cry out this morning. We do turn from self-reliance and, and pride. We want the Spirit of God to dwell in us in reality and in power and and that comes through an admission of our own weakness and, and lack and acknowledgement of the flesh that oftentimes rears its face. We want you, Lord Jesus. We want you. We want you. being that we may be a people that don't just talk about your love but exemplify your love but demonstrate our love your love to our kids and to our spouses in the workplace felt this weightiness in my, my God as Dr. Gladstone was speaking. And can I just tell you, as a pastor that talks a lot about prayer and exhorts us to pray, sometimes words are not, are not enough, and it's okay to admit that. Sometimes there's just this deep groaning that the Lord begins to stir in your heart, and it's okay to sit there in that place and say, Lord, I just want you more. and you don't have words for it. But you just sit there and you groan. And you allow his spirit to come and do what only he can do. If you need to get right with God this morning, this is the perfect time to do it. He's here, he's available. chapter 4 says that there's salvation through no one else. There's no other, other name under heaven by which men can be saved. So you cry out to Jesus and you say, Lord, have your way in my life.
I'm going to stop running. I'm going to stop trying to do this on my own. I admit my need for you as my Savior is the only answer for my sin issue. And you cry out to Jesus. need to get right with God this morning. Come, please come. Come out of your seat and come get right with the Lord. fullness of your gospel work and what you paid for to be demonstrated amongst us in us and through us and thank you for the weighty word that was given to us this morning we don't we don't receive it lightly instead we want to with a spirit of humility respond rightly So Lord, I pray the seeds, this gospel of the kingdom would be found in good soil here in Ames and in this church. That it would bear fruit a hundredfold for your glory and for your kingdom in the days to come. We want you, Jesus. With expectation and anticipation, but even more so, utter and complete trust of your will and your ways are surrendered to you in these days to come. This has been the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week. For more resources, visit us at lifepoint.cc.